Hello and welcome to another episode of Behind the Madness. I'm your host, James Roberts, founder and owner of Method, a growth agency who are hell-bent on unlocking companies' potential through creative and marketing techniques. We're back and I'm again joined by Jamie and Paul, mainly because we are recording two episodes in one day so we can get more out to you guys. And it's the only way these two can actually pin me down. So today we are talking about business in 2022. What's changed and what hasn't. This is going to be very much a seat of the pants episode where we're just going to talk about the things that we've heard of, we've seen changing and we've seen not changing and do a very much a conversational piece. I'm going to jump in straight away with what do we think of meta and metaverse? Ooh, you've gone straight in with the big guns, Jamie. And I like the way that yeah. you're asking the question rather than uh, us throwing it to you, having the social media background compared to me and Paul. I think, obviously, there are going to be some big things that are coming. I think Facebook, as it was, had to change. They're obviously getting a lot of other apps, a lot of other kind of organizations included in their business. And it didn't really sit under what Facebook was when they first created it. When was it? When was it invented? When was it? founded 2003 it kind of went 2003 four went live and then came over to the rest of the world out of the colleges and schools of so you know when i was 10 11 something like that so if we think about that then yes it's been around a long time i think it had to adapt i think what they certainly were finding was that uh, a lot of the older generation were using it and the younger ones were thinking this is very uncool and obviously that can't go on as we discussed in the last podcast I think it ties in quite nicely there that they had to look at their goals and what they were wanting to achieve and it wasn't achieving that so much anymore. Paul what were your thoughts? Yeah I agree I think Facebook were getting a bit of flack for their privacy so I think moving name wise moving away probably um, deletes a little bit of that history. But yeah, I think uh, with other apps coming along, taking their business away, especially advertising, uh, along with users, they've obviously acquired WhatsApp and Instagram so they can fight other apps like TikTok and adapt their ways that way. But yeah, I think umbrellaing it all underneath one name will help them. From a business point of view, I think it's actually really smart because like you guys alluded to there, Instagram is, is a beast. It's the one at the moment and obviously they own that. So they've almost bought themselves, especially with the kind of incorporation of reels, short form video. They've bought themselves two, two to three years of kind of trend time to rebuild their original platform. Because as James said, the product's just not very good anymore, is it really? I quite like the logo. I think they've done well with that. And I think it obviously does seem to make a lot more sense with what they're wanting to achieve. What else is on the horizon then, Jamie? Come on, give us some, give us some insight what they're going to be doing next. Facebook or in business in general? Facebook or Meta. Let's have a look at them. Let's see what they're going to do. So I think massively with Meta, obviously trying to own the space of the metaverse is going to be really important because it's it's this virtual world, mainly through stuff like you think they've got the Oculus, which is AR, VR, which straight away they are trying to own a space. They are Meta. They have Oculus, which allow you to enter the metaverse. Which Martin has just bought. We should have got him in. That's awesome. What we should probably do then is if you guys want to see either a video or some Instagram stories of method in the metaverse, then pop that down in the comments and then we can we can sort that out with our Northern Irishman. Going back to the kind of other question, Facebook, 
I think it's bought itself some really good lead time. I think Reels, Facebook had to do something about TikTok. TikTok became an absolute mammoth and came to Europe with 500 million daily active users. Being a kind of a Chinese company, it had a lot of people in Asia using the product. So when it came over to Europe and America, Facebook and Instagram teams kind of went, wait a minute, this is taking a lot of our market, taking a lot of our attention. And obviously, as people know, attention means currency in that world. So by bringing in Reels, short form video, that's going to be a big move. And that's going to be the trend that really kicks on in 2022 in terms of for marketers, for entrepreneurs, solo business owners, it's going to be a really important aspect to build into your strategy and make sure that you are delivering that more authentic, entertaining and educational piece through quick fire digestible content. I also think social shopping is going to keep exploding. We've seen it more with shops and stores on Instagram. I think that's going to be a move that is going to be interesting for Meta. I think of being allowing people to almost go shopping in the virtual world, try things on. Imagine doing something, whether it's like Ikea or B&Q, and you can go into the metaverse, you can see that product in your living room. That would be a really interesting thing. I will admit, I stole the Ikea reference from a podcast I saw with Noel Mack and Ben Francis at Gymshark the other day. So thanks for that one, guys. Are you just mentioning Gymshark again? Are we just trying to, is that the second podcast? Yeah, in, in, well, yeah, I, okay. I like to give credit where credit's due. I think it's a great point about the metaverse. I think Metaverse is going to become massive. We, you just need to go and check the hashtag numbers on uh, Instagram, see how many times it's mentioned. And then social shopping, they're the two big things that are going to really push on, especially as people are still getting out of the COVID mindset. We've got obviously all of the various elements of restrictions, vaccinations, all of those things, which we are not going to talk about here. But it's making sure that people still feel comfortable enough to go commerce and e-commerce and social commerce is winning that race. If we look back to, let's say, Christmas, I do a lot of my shopping online anyway. Christmas was no different this year, just gone. I bought mainly through the likes of Amazon and the like, certainly for the kids. I think this year, though, is probably the first time I've actually bought through Instagram or through an Instagram shop. I think it's the first time that I, I have. I think it's always, it's kind of been there. Go on, who I'm, was it? I want to mention them. It was Hexy Socks. One of my friends' brands. Big shout out to Ben Cox and Johnny Holway. There you go. I'll have my discount on my next pair. I got some donut socks to try them out, which appear to have very, very good reviews. But it's one of those, as I said, one of the first times I've actually done it. I saw it, it popped up, looked great. Boom, job done. And it took me, I mean, it was almost as nailed as easy as Instagram. And I think that is going to be the route to market for a lot of people now. And we've seen it over the last few years increase. We are more receptive to it now i think you know we're starting to see the older generation who Ooh, i don't like the internet whereas now wanting and understanding it a lot more they've had to over the last two years they've had to change they've had to do all of their accounts and everything online so i think having that removed from them opens up this digital way of shopping to to just about everybody so yeah i completely agree with it with the e-commerce i think it is a, a massive marketplace and something which is, is only going to become easier to get to your consumers. I'm going to pick up on something to you just said, James, Paul, Paul in, that you're just mentioning about tools and stuff like that. So I just want to bring Paul in on tools for business owners that we've seen the growth of Zoom, we've seen the growth of Slack and all of this, like there's HubSpot out there. 
these kind of online tools. Paul, what do you see for that kind of landscape for business owners in 2022? I think it's just going to become more more used. We work remotely at Method. We've honed in certain apps that we like. We use Slack, obviously Zoom. We use uh, time management or job management. Reich, we've moved away from them and moved to ClickUp because they've adapted maybe to things that we would use more. We didn't always use Slack. We started using Slack, then we moved to a different app when Slack wasn't doing what we wanted it to do. So when these apps are getting updates, more people are using them, they're getting more feedback, they're adapting. So we can see apps becoming more useful, better, rather than just being particularly functional for one or two reasons. They're growing much quicker. They seem to be getting a lot of seed money in more than often. I think ClickUp has just received mm. uh, another huge amount of money to to invest into their platform because of the uptake. And reliability now, I think, has to be key. But they are they're changing at a huge rate. Before, the tools would would be very much stuck at what they did or the goals that they were achieving and wouldn't change that quickly. It seems that now the rate of change, it's, it could backfire because of the expectations of, of the consumers and the users of these tools. But these tools are coming about very, very quickly and being developed very, very quickly with new features, with new updates, which is great from our point of view because we're getting new stuff that is helping us become more uh, productive certainly in terms of you know likes of click up one thing i was going to say about social commerce is that we've seen a shift from massive influencer advertising so you'd get someone like kim kardashian and they were advertising big brands they were getting paid millions and millions to do it which is brilliant for them profiting off their social media but as far as target markets are going they were hitting millions and millions of followers, tens of millions of followers, and probably 2% were the company's target market. So they're bringing their advertising now to more relative people, smaller accounts, but they're more targeted. Yeah, 100%. I think, I think that's a really, really interesting point because in the last, I'd say, 12 to 18 months, there's been a big swing by social platforms, but also by brands looking to work with more engaged audiences rather than higher follow accounts. I think we all realize nowadays that follower numbers can be bought, they can be unengaged, they can just be a vanity metric. Whereas if you have a smaller audience who are more engaged, that is so much more valuable to brands. So the inception of nano-influencers and micro-influencers, even though this influencer word seems to be lingering about, will just help brands reach who's important and kind of really tap into brand buyer personas. So even more of a reason to get your buyer persona right if you're looking to go into the influencer marketing space because then you can identify with who they're looking for. And also a little bonus point, if you're going to work with any influencer, make sure you get their media kit so you know what you're getting. I think you're completely right. I think I think it's more legit now as well. Like having real world stories. If you look at the new Apple advertising that they've done with the Apple Watch, which one person is unconscious, I think the other one's in the car. They are very much pulling on emotions. So they've very much gone for that emotional state, but you're seeing yourself in that position. Whereas I think with influencers, you aren't going to see yourself certainly with those with those bigger celebrities you can't see yourself in their shoes but you do see it and kind of think oh if they've got one i want one but i think now we've shifted i think we're a lot cleverer i think we want to you know really engage with with the real and see well actually they've bought it 
because of having that problem and that need. And I think coming back to that, and it's what, you know, inbound marketing, what we've always focused on is proving over time and time again, focusing down on their needs, their requirements and their challenges, you're always going to win. And yeah, I think it's just now becoming more social media is going that way again, I think with the social commerce. I think while while we're on there, if Heights or Whoop want to reach out to James, I'm sure he would happily test a nano influencing. Absolutely. Yep. Will, if you want to get on the next podcast uh, or anybody from Heights, then just, uh, yeah, tap me up. We'll get you on the next podcast. What do we think hasn't changed, guys? Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of rate of change. There's a lot of speed of change. But what do we think that business owners, entrepreneurs, even marketing teams, what can they stay true to? Being personable, staying human, being able to contact a company, speaking to a real person. That's never going to, I always want to speak to a, new, a real person if I've got a customer service inquiry that, that sorts my problem out because it might not understand fully. I'm mean, talking to a bot firsthand. It's fine. Um, as long as then you get to a real person afterwards. Yeah. So with that, I think, Paul, you're exactly right. I think bots can they've got their place, which is very much to take the masses and filter that down to the right relevant people in the particular departments. I think that's where they've mainly got their place or to give you a quick, you know, I can't log in or this isn't working. Well, here you go. Here's your answer. Did that help? Yes or no? No. Here's somebody I think is is going to help because these bigger organizations, when you get to that level, you're getting so many inquiries, it's tough. We though had, or I had an interaction with bringing up Heights again, where I wanted to know whether some other, some other pills that I was taking would have any effect. So it was actually some, some pre and probiotics that I take daily. I wanted to make sure that when I was taking Heights and their supplements, that they weren't going to clash. So they said, oh, reach out and we'll help you. And you know, when you're thinking in the back of your head, really, are you? But I filled it in, sent it off. And I got an email back from one of their nutritionists saying, yep, we've looked into both of the products that you're using. There's no crossover. You'll have absolutely no issues, blah, 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 blah. And sent a, an amazing email back that I was completely blown away by. From a customer relationship point of view, I felt so much kind of gratitude towards them for taking my query seriously enough to spend a, a, a decent amount of time to come back to me. And I've already bought from them, but they wanted me to be satisfied. But it was beyond that. This was very much what we always come back to. You know, it was spending that time and helping. I was absolutely blown away by that. And as a consequence for them, you know, what's that going to happen if you're doing that to consumers? Are you then just going to, we've mentioned them now four or five times within the podcast, it's going to happen because you're going to then pass this on to everybody who you speak to. I've had a great experience. I can't believe how good this was. I can't believe how good the product is. It's a no brainer <laughs> really when it comes to marketing, if you're looking after your customers, um, which I think is is generally the little businesses know it because they have to. They survive on the, on, the, on the lower numbers. They have to look after those customers. As, as companies grow, this is often forgotten about. But I think Heights in this instance were really showing off there and showing the power and how it should be with customer service. So I think obviously that really nails kind of personalization and the importance of it going forward. And you can't really see that changing. 
something else I want to kind of get both of your opinions on because one, you know more about it, but automations and how this can save people, business owners, time, and actually just allow business to run better. What are your thoughts on that? I know obviously you're both big advocates of HubSpot, rightfully so. Jump on that topic. Let's open that can up. So automation has its place for anything that is repetitive. Any task. Boring stuff. The boring stuff. We don't want to do it time and time and time and time and time again and rinse and repeat. All it is is wasting our time. Not everything can be automated, but if we focus down on what we know very, very well, and that is around nurturing, it's around that type of automation in terms of marketing, digital marketing, lead generation, all that good stuff. Pretty much all of that journey of turning somebody from a prospect into an opportunity, into a customer, and then further on from that into essentially an evangelist, almost if you like what Heights have turned me into, that whole process can be automated all of those touch points can be automated if they've done something over so many times or they've downloaded something then they should go into some kind of automation where we are we're communicating with them but exactly as we've touched on before i don't want stuff that is unhelpful i don't want stuff that isn't relevant it has to still come back to that that being personal and we're not talking about being robotic here we're talking about you know we want automation to be super personal and super helpful and that can be automated you can also automate those sales emails that we all send all day long it's the same thing we're asking the same questions we're trying to get the same goals we're trying to get the same information from a prospect or a lead but we will type that email out again and again and again and again and again when if actually if we change that into a sequence or into a template we can use that but then what's what's good about automation is we can report on it so it's not only saving us time and effort in the process itself but so once it's done we can rinse and repeat it but we can then report back on it because we have got data that is going through these processes that we can say do you know what this is working this isn't working why Whereas if you're doing that all manually, you can't step back and understand that data and realize. Yeah. I mean, Paul, you help us out a lot with the with the automation with HubSpot. What are you finding we're doing a lot of at the moment for some of our clients? I think a good example of the automation that we do, which is partly robotic and then turns into personable, is if somebody downloads one of our resources, once they've filled out the form, an automatic email goes out to them with the resource on that they can download. A couple of days later they'll get an automated email through a workflow that sends them another resource that's relevant that could be a good follow-up to the initial resource that they downloaded. A couple of days after that, we can also send them another resource or just a check-in email or if you've got any questions. A couple of days after that, maybe a week after they've downloaded the resource, so it's given them a bit of time to look at it. Uh, A task is set up then for James to give them a call. So then they've gone from very automatic robotic emails a few days after each other to somebody ringing them up and asking them if they got any problems if there's a certain problem they're trying to figure out it's not a sales call it's very much have our resources helped you solve your problem is there anything else we could do to help you so i think it's a bit half and half so it starts off automated ends with a friendly phone call to check in and see how it's going and I think they can grow as well over time. So you can have ifs and, and buts, if you like, where 
you can drop in and out of those of those automations if certain actions happen. So as we grow or understand a customer or a prospect or a lead, we can change what actually happens to them through that nurturing journey. So it doesn't have to be this linear pattern. It, it generally starts very linear because you've got to start somewhere when you're building up these automations. But over time, it can become very organic that they are dipping in, they're dipping out, depending on other actions that they are taking or things that they're doing in a digital environment i think it's yeah like you say it's not set in stone we're learning all the time and if something's not working or if we think something else would work better we can then edit the workflows add stuff in take stuff out to make it more relevant so for anyone who's listening who has found that that bit really really interesting but may have completely gone over your head do by all means look to book a call to speak to james he loves talking about HubSpot. He loves talking about automation and he can sort that stuff out for you. So if it sounds great, but you're thinking, okay, but not sure where to go now, that's probably your next move. One of the things I want to discuss and get your guys' opinion on is value added. There's been a lot of noise on social media, in traditional media, whether it's email marketing, whether it is in-person events, and it's all about making sure that people are adding value to their customers' lives. Obviously, we've banged on a little bit about buyer persona, which is really important because it's how you identify what's important to the people who matter. Value creation is something else that hasn't changed. The most important thing as a business is that you add value to your ideal customers' lives. There are various different models for it, but like a very simple thing on social media is you should be adding value 80% of the time and then the 20% of the time may be promotional stuff like sharing a link to a new downloadable or a new blog post or a podcast. So make sure you check out our socials. There's 5%. But it's making sure that whatever problems, whether it's using your product or if it's just in their day-to-day life, but around your product, around your industry, you are adding that bit of value that is being helpful. You're building that relationship, that trust is getting greater. And then when it comes to buying time, your customers will only be going to one place. What are your guys' take on value? Everything we should do should help our customers or people who are leads to try and sort of identify and help with their problems. James and I were in a HubSpot course, which is all about sales and the teaching basically was you don't phone up somebody to sell them stuff. You phone them up to see if they've got a problem, see if you can help them. If you don't get a sale out of it, that's fine. You've helped them in the future when they have a bigger problem or they haven't been able to solve their problem. Where are they going to go to? They're going to go to somebody who's helped them before. And if you're that person who's helped them before, the company that's helped them before, they're going to come back to you because, okay, you didn't make a sale the first time, but a year down the line, you might have a bigger sale. They might have grown as a company. So yeah, we've all had sales call on our phones where it's just somebody talking at you for five minutes and you just not got time for it. And it's wasting everyone's time. They know that 99 times out of 100, they're not going to make a sale out of it. So why not just be helpful? I agree. I think I think we've had I've, I've one scenario that happens all the time with us is people will phone up and they have heard about us and they want us to help with some strategy or it could be anything actually to be honest but we've had people phone up and they've and they're kind of going right we want we've got x amount we're doing this with it at the moment and it's working 
And we will say, well, hang on a minute. If it's working, if it's all going very, very well, why do you want to take that budget and give it to us to come up with some kind of strategy or something else? And uh, they just wanted reassurance that what they had done by themselves was the right way of doing it. In, in this instance, I'm thinking of it was all around it was all around pay-per-click and they were putting their money into pay-per-click to target their, their buyer personas. And I said, absolutely nothing wrong with what you're doing. But they didn't have any other budget at that time because they were very small. And to be able to improve that would mean reducing their pay-per-click campaign, allocating that money somewhere else. To which I said, well, hang on a minute, you are hitting your capacity just through this one pay-per-click campaign. If you're looking for growth and you want to change your business and you are taking on somebody else, then you could possibly just increase that pay-per-click campaign. If it's working that well, then you should bring in more customers and the more business through it. Why change that? And again, I think, it was, as I said, it was just down to them wanting somebody else to tell them that what they were doing was right. So I had a call with them to understand the business, to understand how it was working for about an hour, didn't charge for it. And we got an absolutely glowing review from them on Google reviews. And in the future, when they do grow, I will I'd quite happily put down some money that where they're going to go for that advice again. They're going to come back to us when their budgets have increased and when they are looking to grow that company. And that's what it's about. I'm not upset at all that I have just helped a local company grow and increase their turnover because it's what we have always set out as our goal. Our goal, as odd as this is going to sound, isn't to make a shit ton of money. It is to help companies grow. Now, we have to make money because, unfortunately, I need to pay bills, (laughs) as does everybody else. But that isn't our goal. Our goal isn't to make money. It's kind of almost a byproduct of our real goal, which is to help companies. But to be a company, to be a successful company, you have to add in some kind of monetary system to that. But we're sticking to our goals. We are helping companies. And as a consequence, our clients pay us money to help them because they can see that benefit. So jumping in, I, I've lost count of the amount of times that I've spoken to friends or leads about method. I'm sort of proud to work for the company. Like James said, it's not all about money. I've spoken to so many people and said, we can help you. Like James said, if you've got a small budget and you ring up and say, this is working, we want to pile more money into it. James will say, well, where are you having problems? What's blocking you from doing other stuff? And he'll dig down and find problems in the company or their strategies and almost redirect that money to something that's going to help them more. I've had friends ring up James just to have a chat. And James is happy to have a chat with them for an hour or two just to sort of give them advice. If it's something we can't help with, we're honest. We will say, look, we can't help you with that or we're not the best avenue to spend your money on yet, which is adding value because other companies will just take the money and run and you will get nothing from that. Whereas we can help you along the way. We can give you the advice. If it's not spending money with us, it's not spending money with us. Down the line, when they've got a bigger budget, they might come back and say, they were really helpful. Well, I want to give them the money to help get them to help me increase my business. I think there's also a big point here, which is time wasting. And I think we're long in the tooth now and understand the difference between somebody who genuinely will give us something back through spending an hour of my time with them over somebody who I can spend an hour talking to who is just 
reaping as much as they possibly can out of our expertise. And, and there is a big, big difference there. Genuinely, if we are helping companies grow who want to kind of learn off us and appreciate what we're doing, and I think that comes back to any company, you know, if you're working with people who don't appreciate what you're doing or what you're trying to achieve with them, then it's probably not a good fit. Now, we will have people phone up who you can tell straight away who just want to get something for nothing. That's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about helping companies who really have a desire to do something and want to flex their muscles, but don't necessarily know how or can't really get on that journey straight away. Now, we will also talk to big organizations around some strategy and spend some time with them. But that is a completely different conversation because, again, they want our expertise, but are in the position where they can actually pay for that hour or pay for those two hours. So I think understanding the difference between helping somebody who is not a time waster and helping somebody who is genuine, you will always get something back, even if it's a review, even if it's, you know, it's, it's the traditional you scratch my back and, and something will always come of it again it takes time to maybe understand where those time wasters are and who just wants to take advantage of you. And I think that's a, a lot could be said about that throughout the whole of life. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting insight from both of you um, in terms of that value added and making sure, obviously, you're giving it to the right people, but you're also not pigeonholing anyone. So to kind of wrap this one up, to keep it brisk and to the pace, I just want to kind of go around and see what you're thinking is the most exciting element for business in 2022. I'll kick us off and say, I can't wait to see how businesses innovate, how they adapt to the next normal that the world's entering. We see more businesses digitize online experiences from tasting sessions to cocktail making with their friends to digital experiences, Safari via Zoom. All of these kind of things are really interesting. So I can't wait to see the mix of great people and what they do. That's kind of for me. So if James, I come over to you. What, what are you looking forward to? I agree. And I think you've probably nicked everybody's idea there of, of what everybody was just about to say, James. I think you're exactly right. I think all businesses have had to change over the last two years. I think some people have had to get things in place very, very quickly. I think now we've had a chance to step back. So all I'm doing on this is just adding the cherry on top of exactly what you've just said. We haven't had time to implement things. We've had to rush into a lot of business changes very, very quickly. So I think kind of building on what you've said, I think now we've had this time and We've now got this time to, okay, it's in place. How can we improve that? What's next for that particular business? I'm genuinely quite excited about 2022. I think a lot is going to come out of it in terms of a digital avenue is a dead end. So not a lot's going to come out of a digital avenue. I'm excited about what's going to come out of 2022 and all of the, the new innovation that's going to have to appear. So yeah, I think from my point of view, I think it's businesses which now have got that room to grow. They've, they've done the initial, what we had to do, that the, they've done that firefighting. It's now that next level. This is where the clever stuff was going to start to happen. Uh, yeah, I agree straight away with Jamie and, uh, and James that there were enforced changes over COVID. There were businesses that had to change or they would collapse. Now they have changed and they were forced to change. They can realize that they are able to change their business. The fear is gone in change. Yeah. So I'm quite excited to see what happens with the innovation of companies changing now through choice rather than uh, necessity. Another thing I'm quite excited to see is a lot of startup companies 
over COVID. Uh, a lot of people lost their jobs or were furloughed. And a lot of people weren't just twiddling their thumbs at home, taking the 80% of their wages. They were thinking of new businesses or that little dream that they've had for a while. They've had, they had the time and a bit of money to realise those. Some of them are going to take off. A lot of them are going to fail. That's just business. But it would be interesting to see what started in lockdown as a project that could become a national, multinational company. But they won't fail if they subscribe to the podcast, right? Absolutely. And follow their buyer personas and their smart marketing goals. Excellent. Lovely. Cheers both. Thanks for your time. Hopefully, again, it was something useful, slightly longer episode this time. But obviously, when you get three guys talking, generally what happens. If you have any questions for me on my email, james at hellomethod.co.uk. Also jump onto our website where some of the stuff we've been discussing today, I think buyer personas, there's a nice little resource on our website, which is hellomethod.co.uk. Make sure you follow us across social media. I think we're on pretty much all of them, some of which I don't even know exist. So until next time, stay open-minded and we'll see you again soon.